Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Blog Talk Radio.
to a very special broadcast of the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio Presents and Law Talk Radio. And I am excited to have two of my partners, if you will, on another radio show, True Life Fridays Radio. We're doing a very special broadcast because of our guests that we have in this gentleman is someone that we have long admired for a long time. So let me welcome two of the three hosts of True Life Fridays Radio to the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed, Patricia and Melissa, welcome to my show. Hey, great to be here, Thomas. Yeah, hi, Thomas. Glad to have you guys. So, you know, we're going to do, we're going to follow our same routine, except we have a different twist on this show. Two things we start out with. One, we're not politically correct. We're just correct politically, and we always come down on the right side of the issue. Two, politics does not define our faith in Jesus Christ. Our faith in Jesus Christ defines our politics. And True Life Fridays do. I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death. There's blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we thank you for this very special broadcast, Lord God. We are thankful for this young man who is on our show tonight, Lord God. And we ask that the words that he speaks tonight will be an encouragement to the listeners, will be a blessing, and that people will know that there are individuals like our guests who are advocating on their behalf. We thank you that you have blessed his family and have protected him over the years despite what he has endured and despite, Lord God, we thank you that he is a voice for the unborn. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. So let's get right to it. This gentleman has a story that it's an inspiration. And I would say it's truly Revelation 12:11. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And he has a powerful testimony. And the enemy might think that he's going to derail the work that God is doing in his life, in the life of his family, in his organization, but he got another thing coming. Please join the Visible Conservative in True Life Fridays radio in welcoming Ryan Bomberger to our show. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you for agreeing to be our guest today. Hey, it's a joy to be able to share what we're all very passionate about. 
Yes. So I'm going to let Leticia open up with the first question because I can tell you this young lady, me and Leticia and Melissa, we started our, our pro-life radio show about two or three years ago, and you were probably in the first few guests that she mentioned in reaching out to to interview. So I'm going to let her open up with the questioning. Leticia, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, you're welcome to the program, Ryan. I am so glad to finally get you on uh, air with us. And so I'm going to get right to it. Uh, there's, uh, Please tell us, first of all, a little bit about your story. I really wanted to get on record. Um, does your walk, getting to where you are from, from your origins, because I think it's really important that people um, understand just who, what kind of shoes you've been walking in for, for all your life. Sure, and there's some crazy shoes, I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> well, first, we all know that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he first tried to steal life away from my birth mom, who was raped. And it's amazing how God can still allow triumph to rise from tragedy. And although she had gone through that horrific, horrific experience, she still went through nine months of pregnancy, chose to give me life, thank God, chose to placed me for adoption, a loving act right there, put me in a family of 15 with six brothers, six sisters, 10 of us were adopted, all kinds of different backgrounds, we're white, we're black, we're you know, biracial, some of us are Vietnamese, some are uh, Native American, and mm-hmm. every single one of us loved like crazy. And because of the incredible courage of my birth mom and the love and the faith of my, my parents, Henry and Andrea Bomberger, I grew up loved and, and cherished in a family that didn't look like most American families. But that's, that's my start. And that's why you could just say being pro-life, which every single human being who's been born should naturally be pro-life. But it courses through my veins because I was loved unconditionally by parents who simply wanted to love those who were labeled by the world as unwanted and therefore, if you're, you know, if you're unplanned, you're going to be unwanted, you're going to be unloved. And we know that's, that's a lie, particularly propagated mm-hmm. by the abortion industry. So that's where I started, starting off with a story of tragedy. But yet, here I am, years and years later, and, you know, you could say I'm, I'm possibility realized. Mm-hmm. Wow. And today... Wow. Um, how are you letting other people know that your story, you know, means so much more to all the other moms out there that find themselves, you know, in the situation maybe your your birth mom did? You know, well, first of all, you know, my wife and I started the Radiance Foundation in order to illuminate certain truths um, about social issues in the context of God-given purpose, mm-hmm. and our heart is always to love the individual, but we're relentless about exposing an industry. And so when you talk about, you know, those like me who in the world said should have been aborted, you have to talk about, well, we have to get past the immediate moment of, of pain and confusion, and that's what a lot of, uh, especially young people, when they find themselves facing an unplanned pregnancy, it's, they can't see beyond that moment. They can't see beyond that day. And what you do when you have people who are able to tell stories like mine, you know, having my, my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and starting my own business, and uh, Emmy Award-winning designer, and now, more importantly, 
a happily married man and a father of four, two of which mm. are adopted, you get to be able to tell your story and your journey to those who may not be able to see what lies in the future for me and for, for my child. And I love being able to be one of those who can tell that story to make it more tangible for especially even, even pro-lifers who have a problem with those with stories like mine who are, on the, who are the, truly the 1% who are used to justify 100% right. of all abortions. Right. What is, the, what is the biggest obstacle, I guess, in this dialogue that you run into, even, even amongst those who call themselves, um, no, you know, almost all uh, uh, pro-life, maybe with exceptions? You know, what is, what is the thing that, I, what is that obstacle that we need to clear away for, for people to see clearly? Well, you know, the beauty of, of having a pro-life worldview is that we have history, we have biology, we have faith, we have statistics all on our side. The problem that we often have is we don't realize the potency of having both the emotional and the evidential. And we have these powerful stories. I meet people all across this country, actually around the world, who have phenomenal stories, and so seldomly are those stories told. So I think that's actually one of the biggest weaknesses, is being effectively able to tell these stories so that you take this issue out of the abstract and make it real life, make it tangible for people. I think that's one of the biggest weaknesses among those who are trying to to educate the public and get them to to embrace a pro-life worldview. Right. Um, I guess further along that line, how is it that, how can we communicate better? Um, because it always seems to be a, a, what I think is an unfair dichotomy. You either love the woman who, or the girl or the woman who is in trouble with a, an unplanned or unwanted or some kind of pregnancy that is in, puts her in crisis versus loving the child that she's carrying. And it seems like people want to put that division on there that you have to choose one or the other um how do we how do we bridge that divide because i really want to bridge that divide well you know you're right it is a false dichotomy it's a false choice there it's not either caring or loving the woman or caring for the unborn child Uh, how about love them both and we can do that see that's one of the amazing things about our society for instance is our medical technology And our medical technology is there to improve people's lives. And one of the ways we improve their lives is making sure that every patient is taken care of. And so right now, especially in 2014, the issue is not that women are facing death when it comes to to pregnancy. I mean, Mm -hmm. maternal mortality is so low in this country, um, and it has not been lowered since abortion has been legalized. It's not lowered by that. In fact, the CDC talks about how new advents of medical technology were the explanation as to why maternal mortality dropped drastically. So the whole thing is we can love both. We can respect the, the, the intrinsic value of each individual. And throwing death at, at the situation only demeans both lives. Right. You know, telling a woman that the only way that she can be equal is by causing the death of another human being, how is that equality? So I take the approach, we love them both, and actually you kind of have to, since the biological equation actually includes three, 
<laughs> right. You know, it's, nothing has really changed. It still takes a man and a woman to, to procreate. Right. So there truly are three lives involved. Unfortunately, we are in a situation now where there's a massive exodus of men, and it leaves women, unfortunately, alone to make the decision most of the time. But I'm all about let's love them both, let's protect them both, and let's include them all. Um, yes, I think that's I think that's a message that doesn't get out enough. And in fact, there are a lot of political voices and civil voices that seem to get in the way of communicating that clearly. And I think one of those examples is your recent, I guess, legal issues with the NAACP, or as you had characterized them, the National Association of Advancement of um, Aborting Colored People. I don't know if I got that right. <laughs> um, and which to which then, it because of that, it became a, a, a legal issue over just words. So now, this is my characterization of it. I look at that issue, uh, this, this whole... Um, occurrence as some kind of distraction to me, but is there something going on that I don't know about? Why? Why? What is it that we ought to be thinking about this? And so, tell us a little bit about your the uh, the the attorney representing you and representing uh, the Radiance Foundation in this um, kind of gone went through the legal mumbo jumbo all that. But you know, where is this? Where is this really coming from? Because you know, I didn't really see that an organization was so invested in abortion to actually come out and and oppose some name change that you had put on that. You know, it's a form of mockery. Right. Well, here's the insane thing. It is actually really simple. What it basically comes down to is that the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and we parodied their name, and I'm actually right. not even allowed by the judge's order to use the parody that I used. So just um, basically Google NAACP and abortion online, you'll probably see the parody. But here's the issue, and it, this should scare any individual or organization because they sued both the Radiance Foundation and me personally um, for what they call trademark infringement. So Little do people know that when they watch SNL, Saturday Night Live, or any kind of comedy sketch that parodies an organization's name, apparently, according to this federal judge, it's you know unconstitutional, which is, you know, it's crazy. It, it is a First Amendment issue. It's a free speech issue. And to parody their, parody their name, which is what I did in several news articles detailing their radical pro-abortion actions, uh, the NAACP is pro-abortion. They passed a resolution in 2004 supporting, a, a, quote-unquote, a woman's right to choose abortion. And in that resolution, they even boasted of the higher abortion rates among black women. Mm-hmm. And so here we are in court facing a multimillion-dollar civil rights organization that radically supports abortion and in court denied that they ever taken a position on abortion. So... It's a surreal sort of thing, but Alliance Defending Freedom is representing us, and we are confident that um, justice will happen. And everything that we've been um, basically ordered to do, we've been ordered to destroy everything that we've created or written about the NAACP. We've been ordered to destroy everything that that was created prior to May 2014. What vested interest 
does the NAACP have in such a minor thing? They apparently see us as a threat uh, to them, and that's what happens when you speak the truth because uh, mm. all hell breaks loose. And with them, they it's almost like a saving face sort of issue with their, with their members. See, what they do, not only do they try to dupe the American public, they try to dupe their own members into thinking that they have not taken radical pro-abortion action and step after step after step. I mean, every year they have their annual convention, and Planned Parenthood is one of their annual corporate sponsors. If you've taken money from the nation's largest abortion chain, you've definitely taken a position on abortion. Right. So it, it's a bizarre action on their part to, to go to, this, to these lengths to try to suppress our free speech rights. But that's what they've done, and a judge has sided with them. Um, but just like the story of David and Goliath, this, this isn't over. Right. So what comes next? We are looking into our, our, our legal options, and we basically know that what the judge has ruled um, is so overly broad, and it is completely outside of, of the Constitution. That's what a judge's role is, to, to interpret a law and to judge and rule based on the Constitution, and he has clearly not done that. So we will be announcing our official actions soon. But at this point, just know that any organization, whether you're pro-life, whether – I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're, you could be a teacher's union, you could be whoever. If you enjoy the right to free speech, understand that this judge, judge's ruling is an egregious attack on your First Amendment rights. Right. Uh, we had been uh, discussing kind of the ramifications to and uh, what you just brought up. Anybody who wants to use um, their free speech in this way is – suddenly violating uh, this judge's judge's ruling. I don't see this standing for a long period of time. Um, I, but, you know, stranger things have happened. I, I, think it's, I think it's strange that it's come this far that a lawsuit would have gone forward and didn't get tossed out immediately. I mean, to me, that was kind of a shocking thing already. Uh, but, you know, I'm hoping and I'm praying for rational minds to prevail in this, and even activist judges who are making really erroneous, I think constitutionally erroneous decisions uh, will be corrected by the system. Uh, we're not guaranteed anything, but I hope to pray for that. <laughs> yes, and we are too. We, our, our hope is that justice will prevail, the truth will prevail. Uh, it's just a shame that the amount of money the NAACP has spent, and I believe uh, it's nearly half a million dollars, that they could have used that money and, and applied it towards scholarships or yeah. applied it toward a campaign to actually tell the truth about an issue. But that's not, that's not their M.O. They're not about being honest. They are beholden to the donor with the highest dollar numbers. And we saw that with uh, Donald Sterling. I mean, they mm-hmm. will – well, let me just put it this way. They will prostitute themselves to the biggest donor. They are not mm-hmm. about adherence to, to principles – that are that are everlasting they are beholden to those who will give them the money and and give them power and prestige and they have shown that over the past few decades they have veered so far away from their rich civil rights legacy wow. so what kind of con- what kind of confidence can uh you know an average person of color have in this you know great 
civil rights group that's a uh, hundred and some odd years old. I mean, it seems like they are not looking out for the interests of their namesake anymore. Well, they're not. I mean, one of the things you hear all the time, the NAACP, you know, decrying voter suppression, voter suppression and, and voting rights. And of course, they never talk about which political party uh, is the one that passed all these eugenic laws like the Jim Crow laws, um, you know, poll, poll taxes, literacy tests, things of that nature. Uh, which political party did that? And yet mm-hmm. they are completely aligned with the Democrat Party that time after time after time shows that it is not about extending freedom to the black community, but oh, trying right. to control them. And they do that through all this fear-mongering over voting, uh, voter suppression. And yet in every mm-hmm. state where these voter ID laws were passed, by the way, minority votes increased in those states. So mm-hmm. all this fear-mongering, my, my whole contention is that, look, the ultimate act of voter suppression is killing a voter before he or she is born. And mm-hmm, that exactly. is what this organization will defend to the end. They defend Planned Parenthood every chance they get, and they defend what is called reproductive justice, where you know, in New York City more black babies are aborted than are born alive. And this civil rights organization has the audacity to talk about how it hasn't taken a position on abortion and talk about voter suppression and talk about racism when it's right there in front of their faces. Exactly. Um, Thomas or Melissa, do you have any questions for for our guest? No, I just uh, uh, wanted to ask um, about um, the Radius Foundation and what you guys, maybe future plans, where do you see um, where do you see the role of the Radius Foundation in the future of the pro-life movement and, and those kind of ideas that you all may have there? We know we are passionate about a number of different issues. We're passionate about the um, the stability of family. We're passionate about marriage and and what how that's being redefined. We're passionate about um, civil rights history and educating people about the true civil rights Amer- uh, American timeline. There are a lot of things we are passionate about, about character development in our young people. So we're excited about some new initiatives we're launching this fall that are um, college student-oriented. We're passionate about some uh, expanding one of our adoption awareness initiatives, which is called AdoptedAndLoved.com, and telling more stories about adoption, uh, more stories about birth moms whose lives didn't end because they were facing an unplanned pregnancy, but because they embraced adoption and then the lives that they were able to live and the education that they were able to receive. Uh, there are so many things that we are so excited about, about furthering um, and also yeah. really being able to expose NAACP, National Urban League, and other organizations like it for mm-hmm. the, the liberal destruction that they bring upon um, they bring about the black community, but the, the public as a whole. So we're just going to continue speaking the truth uh, without mm-hmm. fear. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, you know, people are, are, are intimidated into to being silent. They pick the wrong mm-hmm. folks <laughs> to try oh, to intimidate uh-huh. the silence. I'll tell you that much. That's, that's hey, exciting. Ryan, before you go, because we're down to three minutes, I just want to ask you one question. And I don't know when yet, but there is a there is a show that I'm planning, and what it's going to specifically talk about is how, based on the number of aborted babies in a black community, that essentially the black community is now extinct. 
a lot of people don't want to talk about that. And when I and when we work on that show, because we're probably going to do it in conjunction with True Life Fridays Radio again, it was up for you to be a part of that show. And you know, we we may try to do it panel style. I don't know, yet, but that is the one thing. If you really want to jolt people to reality, you have to be blunt and harsh with the truth. That eventually, black community. America is extinct, and uh, before we can turn that around, they have they have to be smacked. We have to smack people in the face figuratively with a dose of reality. We do. It's true. And one of the things that we do extensively at the Radiance Foundation is we engage in uh, just intensive research on these issues. Right. And and on that that point, this is a really important point. And I, I do emphasize this. There, you know, abortion is the number one killer in the black community. You're talking about 363,705 right. deaths in a year versus 285,522 annual deaths of all other deaths combined. So you can see how the number of abortions dwarf all other causes combined. You're talking heart right. disease, cancer. But this is, this is an important point. The total fertility rate, which is how you determine whether or not a population can, can repopulate itself, has to be above two. And in actuality, it is above two in the black community. But that does not negate the fact that in certain cities across the country, Philadelphia, New York City, for instance, you have more black babies being aborted than are born alive. And so in certain areas, yes, it is a, a serious issue of depopulation, if you will, which is why, I mean, you talk about, you know, these groups want to talk about political power. When you're talking about over 16 million aborted since 73, how much mm-hmm. less political power? Not as if everybody of the same you know, complexion votes the same way, but the reality is there is a concerted effort to control the black population. It has happened throughout the history of this country. And for those to deny that it happens today, I'd like to know at what point was there a recanting of all racism. When did racism completely get severed? <laughs> when did that happen? That certain exactly. groups, certain politicians, certain forces just stopped and said, you know what? We've been doing this thing with slavery. We've been doing this thing with separate but equal. We've been doing this thing with Jim Crow. We've been doing mm-hmm. this thing um, with, you know, forced sterilizations. Oh, you know, we changed our minds. No, it never happened. Right. So exactly. we have to be in t- uh, intent, um, Intentional, I'm sorry, about educating the public and about the serious issue of these numbers of, of abortions. Um, I, it's just devastating. You think of all the incredible, beautiful possibility that is snuffed out, not just in the lives that are aborted, but in the lives aborted in a way of mothers and fathers who will never be who they were meant to be. That's right. right. That's right. Um, I want to ask one more question, if you have one more minute to stay with us. Um, And you touched on it, and it seems like race issues have taken a turn for the worse. Ever since the news of the 15th Annual White Privilege Conference broke the headlines last week, and I'm all about connecting the dots for people on on this program, Um, it is projected by 2050 that most Americans won't be of one uh, racial background. Everybody will have some kind of r- mixed racial background. How does the doctrine, and I, I don't know if you've heard of this white privilege conference, uh, but how, how 
this doctrine, as it were, affect race relations, seeing as more and more families are mixed racially, even your family? Um, how do we put a value on people's skin color when we don't put a value on their individual lives to begin with? No, and, and that's the disease of liberalism or progressivism because it doesn't even see its own inherent contradictions. The conference you're mentioning, the whole white privilege conference, I'm so tired of hearing about white guilt, <laughs> white privilege. I mean, they segregated themselves during the conference. I'm sorry, black folk over here, white mm-hmm. folk over here, they are out of their minds. They are so <laughs> out of their minds because they don't see the intrinsic value of every human life. They can't understand what true racial harmony looks like. Mm-hmm. And they have to demonize those on the other side of the political spectrum talking about, you know, these conservatives, they, they're against the, you know, the Cheerios commercial. We're an interracial couple. I'm, I'm married interracially. I mean, right. the, it is so insane. They don't even see um, the insanity of their own rhetoric. Look, first of all, their numbers are so exaggerated. That's just not, not even accurate. And as long as they continue to be fixated on race, we will never, ever be able to have constructive and healthy conversations because that is all they think about. They are always categorizing, always separating, always segregating. And mm-hmm. I, it's so destructive. I mean, I, I'm not the type of person who says, you know, the world needs to be colorblind. No way. Look at the color. It's awesome. It, mm-hmm. it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Embrace it. But if that is going to be the determining factor in how we view all life, which is what progressives and liberals do all the time, we are looking toward centuries more of this kind of division and this kind of animosity. And I say, you know, be gone with it. People need to understand that liberalism and progressivism does nothing, nothing to erase um, the, the racial divide that exists. It only increases it. I, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've got to say. We want to thank we really want to thank you because I know I know you said you have to go and we're three minutes past your time. But if you will, I'll, I'll be I'll be getting a hold of you on Facebook and seeing if we can schedule you for a longer time because you hit on some very specific points about the statistics. See, I didn't realize that the black population was over two because. You know, the set of statistics that I've seen had us at 0.1%. And so I def- we definitely want to have you back on the show in the next few weeks to talk more in depth about that because we do, we do need to educate. And sometimes it takes harsh truth, putting it in a way that it will jolt people. Because we can't give up on our community. Because if we do, eventually those depopulation numbers will stretch throughout the entire community. So I want to thank you so much for coming on. God bless you. And just know that you have three soldiers who are more than willing. If you ever need us, we'd be more than willing to march right alongside you in any endeavor that you undertake. So Awesome. I, I'm honored to just be be one of many who share the same passion and share the same ideology. And I would love to come back and talk to you because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. hey, <laughs> right, there's right. just not enough time in the day. That's right. <laughs> uh, 
All right, Ryan, take care and say hello to your beautiful family, and we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. I can't wait. God bless. Thanks for being God bless. That was that was a phenomenal show. Uh, Leticia, I totally understand why you've been clamoring for so long to get that man <laughs> on this show. He he he's he's world class. He's a world class individual. We in fact didn't we have the opportunity to meet him in was it in Chicago? Leticia? Didn't we meet I, I don't recall. I, I don't recall. Uh, you know what? So I, I, I met him in D.C. You know what? I met him in D.C. at the Policy Summit with Urban uh, Cure oh, Policy yeah. Summit. That's right. where I met him. I, <laughs> I thought it was in Chicago, but see, I'm getting old. But you know what? And based on some of the things he said, you know, about how the NAACP, through that judge's ruling, they're trying to suppress, they're trying to suppress free speech. And, right. You know, but he, as Ryan so eloquently put it, here they were taking money from a known racist, Donald Sterling, because it fit their narrative. So basically, if we're to understand correctly, the NAACP doesn't really care about racism unless it puts dollars in their pocket. In other words, I think you hit the nail on the head. So they're willing to overlook certain racial issues if you're willing to grease their palms. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It's, I don't believe for one moment that the NAACP did not know Donald Sterling had the views that he did. I don't right. think that for a moment. Of course they did. And that's what's so funny about it. They knew it. And they were still, when this first came out, they were still going to give them the Lifetime Achievement Award until right. they got called on it. And uh, yes, know, and then it, they decided to give the uh, the award racism. to Al Racism, racism, racism. That's right, racism. That you know, and that's what is kind of ironic <laughs> because not only is Al Sharpton racist, he racist against his own kind. You should have heard some of the things that he has said. He's been quoted as saying about black people that's worked for him. I, again, so, it's all about money. Yeah, the, the when you when you can take advantage of people for their money, um, that is the biggest the biggest type of exploitation. Um, and that that any type of supposed racism that has happened against a group of people to therefore turn around and um, and just steal from them, basically steal from them and to use them is is just it's. It's worse, in my opinion. It's, you know, it's barbaric. Right. Right. And it's it's crazy because, you know, if you want to talk about uh, what reflects a, a genuine, diverse group of people, look at our show. 
Exactly. We have we have male, female, black, Chinese. <laughs> you can't get more diverse than that. And we all have different um, character and personality. I have a fiery personality. Yeah. Melissa, you have that loving, nurturing type of personality. And Leticia, I'm still no trying words, to figure no. out. There are no words. <laughs> I'm, <kidding. laughs> I'm still trying to figure out. I'm teasing. I, I got, there are lots of people that have words for me, but there are no words for me. <laughs> well, I'm sure. Well, we have good words for you. I'm sure the words that they have for you are probably because when you speak, you run circles around them. And see, <laughs> that that's what we really need to do. Um, if progressives want to be like that and they want to poke to the bear, we need to start running circles around them. Take what they're saying, the garbage that they're putting out, break it down, dissect it, and, and feed it back to them and say, hey, is this what you meant? And take the literal points, what they said, oh, so you said this, you're racist. And, you know, like using that, using that um, professor from that school, Massachusetts Art and Science College in wherever that was, the the white professor who said that he thinks that white males should just commit suicide. That's who's racist. He's racist against white people. And he's white. So I mean that if if we start taking what they're doing using the truth in our real knowledge, could you imagine how flustered and running in circles we could have them? I'm telling you. So remember, but remember, you can't be racist if you're black, remember? You can discriminate. According to who, though? Yeah, well, uh, you want to take that one first? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, okay, I'll tell a story. And I think I've told this story on there before. In Hutchinson, Kansas, I'm walking across. I went to school at Hutch Juco, and I'm walking across the parking lot going to the sports arena. Actually, I think I was going to the store. Anyway, there's this little kid, about 11-year-old black kid on the bike, riding down the sidewalk, and he's about 150 yards from me. Well, he sees me. Makes a V-line towards me, rides this bike around the circle around me, staring at me. And I said, is there a problem? And I kid you not. He said, F you, you N-word. Okay. Just laugh. Because I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm sure somebody called you that, but suddenly you're, you're being racist. See, that wasn't bigotry. That's racism. Contrary to that narrative that black people can't be racism, that they can only be bigoted, all bigotry is is racism under another name. It's the same thing. But those supposed elite individuals who come up with this stuff think we're just too dumb to figure that out. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Go ahead, take it. Take it from there, Leticia. Um, well, I mean, this idea that black people can't be racist is something that uh, I guess it was in, it was very well vocalized by the uh, director uh, Spike Lee, who said. Uh, and also those at the White Privilege Conference that had said racism is only a product of um, hate for a particular race plus a power structure. Um, how, now, I'm not really sure how that's necessarily justified or if that's just progressive run amok. You know, they're just kind of running, running around with their unicorn and trying to make things just so just because they say so. Um, because in my personal experience, I think I have gotten, um, at the very least, let me put it very gently, made fun of. You can, uh, you can interject all kinds of other things into uh, that category of being made fun of uh, for being Asian from people of all races. I have been made fun of by blacks, Hispanics, and whites mm-hmm. for not being black, Hispanic, or white. And... Right. You can certainly take this from my perspective. All those other people were certainly very racist toward me. And if if there's only one category of person that can be racist, then how in the world did all those other people say what they can, can say what they said to me, and worse, and yet not be called racist? Feels right. the same. Exactly. Feels the same. Sounds the same. Exactly. Yeah. Works the same. Right. Exactly. What about the- you just have to throw the whole definition of racism out the window because it doesn't mean anything if it's based on who it's coming from as opposed to the act itself. Then you just, exactly. you just have to throw the whole term out and it doesn't apply to anyone. Exactly. That's the whole point. And you know, the term racism was a term coined back in 1929 by a communist for people who opposed communism. It never had anything to do with race. Mm-hmm. But just because the term race, is race and then racism, they, they somehow made the, uh, made the connection, and it was never about that. But let's, let's talk about this for a minute, you know. What about we talk about we talk about white privilege. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, you had those individuals at the white privilege conference and Ryan pointed out they segregated themselves. They segregated That's themselves. Right. White people on one side, black people on the other side. But it's kind of funny. We bet that those white people at that white privilege conference were all liberal. Because I highly doubt you would find a conservative worth their thought being at that that conference because they'd be like, okay, this is stupid. Well, right. if there was a if they were conservative, I'd have to con, I have to question their conservatism then, because to be at something like that, they would be dishonoring the tens of thousands of white men and women who died so that black people could be free in this nation. And I'm not talking a civil war. I'm talking an underground railroad. Right. You, you I, know, I, 
it's the, same, it's the same thing I've said about other things, and I've mentioned it about at this pro, this particular conference where they did self segregate themselves. They did say that you know they had escorted white people out of a particular room, and they made up all kinds of reasons for it. None of them sound reasonable to me, but at the the whole conference itself is a bunch of progressive liberals talking about their first world problems. Right. Exactly. Tell me They're how any wealthy. any of this helps anyone live in this world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you know, too many people I mean, too many people wanna create more problems instead of coming up with a solution to solve the problems that already exist. And I'm telling you, we are a very capable nation. We are a very capable people. I'm going to tell you something, just like like this. I'm excited. I was offered an opportunity, a ground floor opportunity, for the mind built a conservative website from scratch. He built it from scratch, made me the admin, and told me, build it. This gentleman, he's a conservative, and he's white. He wasn't thinking mm-hmm. about my race when he offered me that offered me that opportunity. He was thinking about, hey, this is something that could possibly help me out and be a blessing to you as well. He also mm-hmm. offered me a phenomenal sales job where I literally in the ground floor with the opportunity to work my way up. So folks the opportunity is there if we so choose to take it. But we're we're finding every issue to segregate, to hate, to do everything that we do under the sun instead of embracing what the Lord Jesus Christ said that we're supposed to do. You know, we're supposed to be unified in Christ. And I'm getting ready to get a little scriptural for a minute. Luke eleven seventeen says, A kingdom divided against itself falls into desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. So what are we going to do about it? Like me and Letitia, I love her to pieces. We, did, we sometimes, we have arguments and disagreements. Don't talk for two or three days. That haven't actually happened in a while because I fixed the problem that it was. But we we can have disagreements, be mad at each other. But at the end of the day, because we're brother and sister, the same with um, Melissa as well. Yeah, but Melissa, she's a sweetheart when she gets mad at people. <laughs> she does it not. Uh, hold on, hold on, me. hold on. You should ask my husband that. <laughs> Who's not a sweetheart? That's what I'm hearing. Who's not a sweetheart? <laughs> well, you're you're like the you're like the lion that got to eat the bad people when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego escaped from the lion's den. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, that that's a joke. But uh, but no, my point is this. Not everybody is always going to get along because nobody is perfect. But the true test is when you 
have disagreements or even knock down, drag out arguments? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to resolve the issue and not go anywhere until those issues are resolved? It may hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. I think, uh, Thomas, your audio is cutting out a little bit, but yeah. I understand that um, we're, t- we're talking about issues that that normally would divide people if we don't have a solid underpinning of a common faith, actually believing in God, and understanding issues to be what they are. And in, in the liberal progressive mindset, racial, racial issues are everything. Okay, They're sorry everything. about that. <laughs> I but, got knocked well, I out that that what we're listening to with these these racial pref- these racial issues is when you lack a moral underpinning when you say that things like i don't believe that there are such a things as you know objective moral values i don't believe in god i don't have right. fundamental values that unite all humanity um how do you then argue for universal human rights how do you then argue for racial superiority how do you argue for racial harmony at all in fact these these yeah these issues become all encompassing mm-hmm. try to find an issue that um, a liberal progressive I should say regressive because that's what it really means um, mm-hmm. finds that they can just put down and say well we can get along even if we disagree we can agree to disagree no absolutely not if you come along and you disagree with their view of racial issues you have to be uh, kicked out of your job. You have to be fined. You have to have your First Amendment rights taken away from you. You have to be persecuted right. because you disagree. There mm. is no civil dialogue with a person whose entire life is vested in these surface issues. Exactly. That's a very good point. And that's why, you know, I'm one of those people if I if I have a disagreement with someone, I have to be able to hammer out the issue, come to a resolution. Because if I don't, it's going to hurt me. It feels like rejection. And, you know, I told a special individual to me, you know, if we ever argue, I don't ever want to yell, fuss, and cuss. I want to sit there until we get that situation resolved. And that's how it should be. But progressives or regressives, as you said, it's really funny. They will do what they do to people and then turn around and cry for civility. Like, like for instance, they called for the death and rape of Ann Romney on Twitter during the 2012 election. But, yeah, I forget what it was. A Republican candidate made some comment about some some Democrat, and they cried to the high heavens. All I did was laugh. I, I didn't even let it. I didn't even let it be a bleep on my radar because, to me, you're hypocritical. You cry about what somebody did to you, but yet you're silent on those issues 
And I'm telling you, I said it once, I say it again. You really want to scare the crap out of Democrats? You expose their racism. And I'm talking about those individuals. People want to talk about white privilege. Let's talk about white privilege. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. exploit. No, we're talking about how the um, that whole um, position is self-defeating and contradictory. I mean, they, they prove that when they speak harshly of black conservatives for thinking for ourselves and having our, come to our own conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, we're thinking outside of race, so we're thinking on the issues only is what we're looking at and where we're judged and called names and, and these sort of things because we don't fit into their box then they, they absolutely um, contradict their 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 um, stance that we're supposed to be judged by the our, the content of our character and not the color of our skin type type deal because they're looking at our skin color and saying, well, you're supposed to be like this, and you're not right. supposed to think like this, you know? So exactly. it's just it's all, it's put, hypocritical. They're putting us They're putting us in the box. And you know what? Sometimes in some cases, we have to sometimes um it's good to educate one on one because sometimes God will bring he will put people in your life who are hungry and right. And um I'm talking about a certain special individual who, you know, <laughs> Patricia, you and Melissa, you guys are Christian apologists. So be as that may be, or be as that may, you know that we're never supposed to say never. I'm saying never say never, or how the expression goes. Well, I told the Lord one day, I said, Lord, two two types of people that I don't ever want to marry or date or whatever. I said, a non-believer and a Democrat. <laughs> well, <laughs> I will say this. I have been blessed with a um with you know with some very special friends and we've talked about everything. And she grew up Democrat. But the greatest lesson that I've learned was that she did not shut me down because I'm conservative. She actually listened and she asked me questions. And that totally blew blew me away and it floored me because I allow fear, fear of, you know, just fear of flash to shape my mindset. But God had a different plan. So that's why it is important. And this is what I love about you, Letitia and Melissa. You and you guys, when you guys um, teach apologetics and when you talk about it, when you reach out to people, y'all do it in such a way that it always, it leaves a door for reconciliation and restoration open. 
And right. now if we could figure out how to impart that to the political arena, we could probably patent that and become quadrillionaires. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> but, I but, um, have something there. <laughs> yeah. And, and because that's what it's about. Because really what it boils down to, and this is, this is the crux of it, we say we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to show, just like um, Jason and David Denham, they, they were willing to lose everything, millions for their faith, and guess what? Because of that decision, you're going to see those two gentlemen, they're about to get blessed above and beyond even what they have now, and they're multimillionaires. Mm. HGTV, I'm, I'm going to make a, I'm going to prophesy something right now. A couple of years from now, if not next, by the end of this or next year, HGTV is going to look at the success of the Benham Brothers. They're going to be kicking themselves because those two are going to outdo every show on their network. And this is something I'm speaking because of their willingness to lay down things for Jesus Christ. You watch. And I'm going to laugh when it happens. I'm going to laugh at HGTV when it happens. So, you know, you guys have any comments about that? I, You know, I'm so proud of those two. You know, I sent some friends requests, and they accepted. So I'm like, yay. And so anyway, but, uh, so what do you, Melissa, you know them. Tell us a little bit about those two. Well, um, what was your question? What do I think about so it? So tell us. No, tell us a little bit about the Benham Brothers. Well, the Benham Brothers, um, their father um, is Flip Benham, and so they come from a long line of uh, a long Christian heritage um, line. And their father actually was the the one who um, regularly um, did sidewalk counseling at the abortion clinic where Norma Jean McCorby worked after the Roe versus Wade decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was through his ministry there that Norma actually became a Christian. And um, wow. their father, yeah, their father baptized her. So um, this is the heritage that they come from. So they have been on wow. the front lines of the abortion clinic since they, you know, since they were born. Um, right. And and preaching the gospel, and so this is the life that they came from. And you know, they, you know, went to Liberty University and you know Christian College and played baseball there, and went into the the minor leagues. Um, I believe both of them did. And um, and God, for whatever reason, just used them to start you know their real estate business, and it completely took off. It, it took off more. They say they, they could not even imagine the success, um, could have imagined the success that they have. I think they have about 30 companies under the Venom, um, under uh, the Venom companies, mm-hmm. so 30 different companies and markets around the world. So God just expanded them and um, has used them to 
um, locally, they have uh, they uh, David founded Cities for Life um, Pro Life Ministry, which is a sidewalk counseling ministry here in the Charlotte area, and they actually just started a branch out in Southern California. So they mm-hmm. and they get they are they are the main supporters to that ministry financially. Um, they use the money that God's given them to fund missionaries all over the world. Um, they are, you know, they believe in family. They are family devoted to their, their wives and their children. They're homeschooling families, um, traditional families in that aspect. Um, but they have this, uh, um, God's just elevated them to uh, to be before a lot of people and they have a lot of influence and they've helped a lot of people, business-wise and ministry-wise. Um, right. Uh, held the Charlotte 714 conference here in Charlotte during the DNC um, in 2012, which was basically a citywide prayer event, and a number of different churches came. And um, so they they are men of prayer. They believe that, that God um, has you know has has given them this platform for a reason. And so fast forward to HGTV. Um, they've been working with HGTV for a year to get a real estate show on, um, and the name of the show was called Flip It Forward, where they would, um, they've been flipping houses for, for years, and they've successfully grown their business that way, and they were, would be um, instructing um, new house flippers on how to effectively do it. And so the show was midway. Um, they had six properties here in Charlotte that they were, in the, they were filming, and um, because the there was leakage from Right Wing Watch, much of it was slanderous actually, about their um, their views on traditional marriage and pro life values and Jesus being the only way to God. Um, HGTV um, felt pressure from their liberal viewers, and they cut they they canned the show within a matter of a day. Now, mm-hmm. mind you, HGTV knew who they were. They had they had laid everything on the table with HGTV. So this was right. HGT was not caught off guard by this. They knew what they were getting into when they started this show, but of course they had to to play the politically correct, um, you know, allies to the, to the gay lobby, um, and and they caved in. And and it's like you said, I think that in the end they really are going to pay for that. Well, we know they are. Right. I I think that HGTV made a political decision. Um, mm-hmm. In trying to be favoring favoring one group over another, a show can't be a show. That the bottom line is that that's what happened here. A show can't mm-hmm. be a show about helping people in uh, in time of need and using their re- and uh, two brothers using their real estate skills to help um, people in need to to provide homes and to to do real estate and all that stuff. A show can't be a show. It also has to be a politically correct show. Right. And and that is the sad part of it. And I mean, it, it it hampers such dialogue. I mean, I almost mm-hmm. feel sad for H. I mean, the whole thing is about oh, HGTV just made such a bad decision. Well, yeah, they did, but they're losing out. Um, I think even before Thomas's prediction here comes to, tr- to comes to light, I think they're losing out in terms of letting letting a political minority voice dictate everything that they do. I mean, this is elitism run amok. This is a small catter of activists that want a particular view to be upheld across the board, and they're willing to to pressure 
pressure television networks. Well, not only just pressure, they're, they're vicious. That's the, oh, yeah. I mean, you saw those comments on the Facebook page. Yeah, it was being they, nice. These people are vicious. They are unrelenting. Right. Absolutely. You know, you have to have a backbone with these people or, you know, you'll, you'll just cave. Right. right. And I mean, what what is what is wrong with helping people? What is wrong with the show? I certainly I look at the, looking at the content of the show. Flip it forward. Seems like it's it's an awesome show, awesome concept, mm-hmm. where people are helping mm-hmm. people. Does it matter that the hosts have strong religious Christian views? It shouldn't. If what no. if the Ben and Brothers were um, homosexual? Oh, all the better. Oh, they'd have been all, all over that. Oh yeah. I mean, there, would no, there would be no there would be no stopping a show like that. That would have been put to uh that they would have been given a media attention in the positive direction from now mm-hmm. for the next three years solid. Mm-hmm. There right. would be nothing bad anybody would say about that. But this is mm-hmm. blatant viewpoint discrimination. Blatant viewpoint discrimination. Mm-hmm. Let me say this. Let me say this. And and I'm a and I'm gonna tell everybody how this how, how the whole homosexual activism got started. It started with Matthew Shepard in Wyoming in a false narrative. Because I'm gonna let you all in on something that it has been released but conveniently mm-hmm. covered up by the mainstream media. Matthew Shepard wasn't killed by homophobes. Matthew Shepard was right. killed by his gay lover who was high off of meth in LSD in speed in everything else. Guess what? So you were duped. It wasn't it was not the media. That's why I heard the prediction or I heard a statistic which I'm, I think is now true. I'm, I'm starting to think it's true. And that is you can't believe 95% of what's in the media. Well, right. Matthew Shepard. Go ahead, Leticia. No, I'm saying what, what you are saying is true. I think that story broke a few months ago that the Matthew Shepard story was was basically a falsehood told specifically so that they could manipulate the public to having um, – a civil kind of a looking at the gay rights movement as a civil rights movement, saying mm-hmm. that hate crimes against gays are so bad you need to get with it. There's there were marches, there were um, protests, and uh, even Rosie O'Donnell went on the View saying you know accusing people who did not march with her for Matthew Shepard's uh, in Matthew Shepard's death of not caring enough. I mean I think. We have been cleverly manipulated into into thinking a certain way about the gay rights agenda, right. and I think it's about well, time that I mean, all I'm asking for at this point is the truth. I don't want to exactly. to uh, malign people on the left or people who are for gay rights for trying to manipulate people. Um, I don't think I need to. I think that's readily apparent what they're doing. I just want the truth. And for some reason that uh, you know, I don't think we need to name, some reason the truth is too much for them. I think the truth exactly. is too much. 
if you you know if you really want to flip the script, let me tell you something that's really been covered up. Let me tell you something that's really been covered up, and that is this: we have been programmed to believe that homosexuals are this right, nice, happy-go-lucky folk. I have read the stories of the ritualistic, sadistic rape and murders of boys and men by homosexuals. The news media have covered those killings up. Now, the question that needs to be posed to the mainstream media is this. You're always talking about discrimination and what's done to gay people. Do you ever mention or talk about what gay people have done to straight people? And it's a lot worse than what people know. I know because I've read read the accounts of some of the stories, and it will stick in your stomach. So until this is what I'm saying, we have to start getting brutally honest with them and saying, hey, you know what? You have, if you want to choose an alternative lifestyle, just go ahead. You're free. But when you overstep the boundaries and you attack another person because of your sexual orientation, you just drew a line in the sand. And we will come after you. And and as simple as that, the liberal, the progressive, regressive news media, they're not going to, they don't tell you what these folks do to people. Why is it that most most pedophiles go after little boys? Males. Mm-hmm. You know, let's call a spade a spade. But say that in the media. But I'm telling you, folks, this is where it's at. As believers in Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking from experience, and as and I know we don't have time to tell testimony, 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 but I'm going to tell you something. I can testify to God intervening, sending his ministering angels to defend his children. And if you don't think that he won't do it, if we call on him, you better think again because it's happening every single day. Folks are reaping what they're sowing in ways that they don't even know why things are happening. It's because God, because someone prayed, has sent forth his ministering angels. I said all that to say this. We have the power and authority in Jesus Christ to change this nation. The reason why this nation hasn't completely collapsed is because of a Melissa, a Letitia, a um, Amber Thomas, Thomas. a a Vincent E. Brown, a Babette Holder, a Shea Mm -hmm. Burke, people like that who really here. And the fundamental, uh, we have to go back to the fundamentals, which is what ho- unites 
really all all of us together. I mean, we are a diverse crowd. We come from all different parts of the country, different walks of life, and different racial backgrounds, white, black, and what's not talked about most is the mixed race. I mean, look at all these people. I mean, look at all the issues that are laid out in front of us. It's the white privilege conference. It's the black people thing. It's the minority thing. It's the, you know, like I said earlier, when I, when I asking when I was asking Ryan a question, he, he himself is a a child of a mixed race coupling. His family is has all kinds of races represented, you know. And most of most black people in this country, if you've lived here long enough, will have somebody in their family that's not completely black, not completely of African descent. Most families by 2050, 2050 will be a mixed racial background. Most individuals will right. be of mixed racial background. How can we sustain this type of racial division any longer? There will not be white privilege anymore. There will not be black privilege. There will not be Hispanic privilege. There will not be any of this. Families will be too mixed to make those type of racial divisions any more. They just won't Amen. make sense. They just won't make sense. And to for people to propound on this in 2014, this idea that white privilege is what gives certain white people an advantage that other people have and therefore they have some kind of they, they are obligated to owe either the government or their fellow man or something of that nature that obligates people to ta- to give of themselves in a way that other people are not obligated to do the same is a ridiculous idea. And what sets the conservative apart in all of this is our fundamental values of who we are as human beings. You know who you are, Thomas, grounded as a human being. Melissa, you know who you are, grounded as a human being. I know who I am. And everybody you listed so far, we all know who we are as human beings. We are not black people, white people, Asian people first. We are human beings first. We are created in the families that we came from, and those things add to our lives. They don't determine who we are because who we are is fundamental to to our creation, not to our skin color. Amen. So you and I, we can all sit around in a table and enjoy each other's company and not worry about am I offending so and so? Am I am this a racial joke? I can't. Can I laugh at this? I don't. You know, I can't understand how progressives or regressives can sit down with each other. Um, the way Michelle Obama wants people to sit down around a table and enjoy each other's company and actually have a good time. Right. I don't understand how people can actually have a good time talking to each other because this type of racial division, which is everything to them gets right. in the way. How can you look at people as individuals when all you see is skin color? Right. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's a great that's a great question. I mean, the first time like when the first time myself and Letitia met, we went to an event in Wichita, Kansas Republicans event. And when we got back we we talked about 
the beginning of the show. We we laid out plans. I mean, we literally talked all night. And it it was the first time I had met her. But it's like we connected just like that. Asian, black, you know. I've been at her house, met her husband, met her kids. We all connected. And it's like it wasn't, oh, he's she's Asian. They're Asian. He's black. It wasn't never any of that. And um, folks, if we can do it, anyone can do it. Right, and I have to give credit to to all the uh, people who gave me a ride back from Kansas to Can- uh, from Wichita to Kansas City. Uh, I was I was attending the Kansas Black Republican Convention, and we stopped. <laughs> We stopped, and I said, y'all are being so polite. I know there's a question you guys are dying to ask. <laughs> Is that what am I doing at the Kansas Black Republican Convention? <laughs> actually, I don't, think, I don't think it ever occurred to anybody, actually. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good. You guys are so polite because you never once brought up the fact that one of these people just doesn't look like they belong here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it really never occurred to me. But then that's that's just how we roll. That's just how we roll. Um, tomorrow night on Reality in Christ Worshiping Word, I will be interviewing part two from our show from Friday. I don't know if you guys want to join or not, but I'm I'm bringing the ladies of Depo Provera back with Elaine to talk more in depth about it. Um, going to have Miss Jean. She's from Kansas City. Jill um, can't pronounce her last name, but they will be back tomorrow because you know what, folks? We have to hit the issues that affect women. Ryan so elegant, eloquently put it, same way that we we address it, but he addresses it better. We don't go after post-abortive women as pro-lifers. One, it's counterproductive. Two, it does not help them to realize that there's healing in Jesus Christ. And three, it makes us dislike the pro-aborts when we attack a post-abortive mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who yeah. We are. We won't go there because you know what? That post-abortive mother deserves to be loved because guess what? To those who want to condemn them, say, "Ah, oh, you are going to hell." Jesus still died for the sin of abortion too. Whether mm-hmm. you whether you want to admit that or not. He still died. And as long as those mothers know that there is healing in Jesus Christ, instead of beating them over the head when they already know what they did, when that procedure is complete, I guarantee you, those moms know something is wrong. So instead of beating them over the head, try reaching out to them in love, leading them to Christ Jesus, letting them know that there's healing. For their heart. Stop 
stop beating them over the head. Enough mm-hmm. is enough because 68 to 80% of the women who get abortions every year didn't want them in the first place. I rest my case. Mm-hmm. So. Whew, great show tonight. And we're going to say goodnight to Miss Melissa because she got to run. But, Melissa, kiss your beautiful baby. Tell your wonderful husband we said hello. And, uh, you know, have a good night. Um, Leticia, you have any closing thoughts before we sign off? Um, no. Other than what we've said already, I think um, that that what bringing our guest on Ryan kind of underscores the unity that is the pro-life position. I think if you're going to be, if you're going to, if you want to have racial harmony as well as um, be pro-life as far as abortion, I think those things go together. I think there's an extremely high level of consistency that pro-life advocates like you and me, like Ryan, like Melissa, like any of us who are are advocating for life across right. all these, all the whole spectrum, we want to see people live and flourish, and we want to right. look at issues through the the dignity and respect given to the person. We acknowledge the life and the dignity of the person. And if we right. want racial harmony, you have to start with why. Why do you want racial harmony? Is there something special about the human person? Well, if there's something special about the human person, then we cannot summarily kill people in the womb because that devalues exactly. all of us. It makes your position about racial harmony worth nothing. At the end of the day, it, it's worth nothing because you can't hold to it. You can't be... One without the other. You and know what? Go ahead. And well, I think uh, the pro-life ethics, ethic demands consistency. If you're going right. to be whole about this, you need to explore exactly all these issues that affect people. And what, where are you going to find yourself on it? You've got to be consistent. If you're pro-life, you've got to be consistent about racial issues. If you want to be consistent about racial issues, you got to be pro-life. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Patricia, this is what I want you to do when you get some time. I want you, what you just said right there, I want you to record that on YouTube and post it. Post it to my page, post it, because people need to hear your voice. You need we, because I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna start posting. I'm gonna start videotaping and posting things as well. But that was very excellent in what you just said right there. And no matter try as they may, they can't argue that point because how can you how can you call for racial harmony as progressives seem to or regressives seem to do, but yet perfectly okay with killing babies, right? You have no, you really have no desire for racial harmony if you think that a life is so unimportant that you snuff them out at the tune of 
fifteen hundred a day, or no, thirty five hundred. Yeah, and for a day. for any reason, even for being the wrong color. Yes, or the wrong gender. Mhm. So. Wow, Sounds this good. has been. Look into that. Yes. Um. This has been a good, good show. Great interview with Ryan. Um, Letitia, it was good having you and Melissa come into my playground. This is the world of politics, but you already know how I roll. Um, I want to thank everybody who listened tonight and those of you who are going to listen in archives later on. You just had the opportunity to listen to a phenomenal, phenomenal show. And I am going to take you home with this song and just know that we are America. We are America, regardless of race, color, or creed. Good night. God bless, and I will see you tomorrow night on Reality and Christ Worship the World.
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.